The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. No my hockey my kiada fold emihine welcome to the first new fold of the year and this is this is one which I've been looking forward to for for a long time. We've actually had like truly bizarrely cursed luck. I've <laughs> there's been all kinds of, of maladies and injuries that, that have delayed this, but it's finally happening. It's a really cool way to start the year. My guest today is Claire Winterbourne, who is the founder of Born Bread Talent, which is a, a Sydney-based creator agency who they work with TikTokers, YouTubers, Instagrammers, OnlyFans people. Like it's anyone who, who creates, they, they'll work with them. And help them develop their careers. I, I first met her actually at a an event that they put on to sort of help explain uh, TikTok to. It was a mix of creators and and brands, and and that I think it's a really smart thing to do because you've got this nascent area, which is enormous in many respects in terms of the amount of attention uh, time it generates, but it's still also for brands that are used to. You know, a blink of an eye ago, we're mainly doing television commercials and newspaper ads. They they need to be coaxed into it, and and equally, these creators who might have massive followings need to know how to make some money out of that. And and that's where Claire sits at that intersection. And 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 I think because as traditional media, we're challenged by that. You know, we talk sometimes as if they're eating our lunch. That's true, but you know, when when nothing promised to us, you have to go out and fight for it every day. And. And I think because of that sort of tension, sometimes you know even media coverage of of influencers can be quite reductive. And and I I try even though like you know I'm not on social media, I try I I, I feel queasy about some of this stuff. But I'm like you can't you can't ignore it, it and you have to try and seek to understand it on its terms. And so you know when I met Claire, she just struck me. She's this ball of energy and you know like me had a had a kid when she was young and and as an entrepreneur and I just I really liked her and I thought this is a person who's actually holds the key to this world and and can explain it in a way which uh you know I think is is pretty pretty rare and that's why she's having the success she's having she's actually a New Zealander she's from Christchurch but moved to Sydney when she was quite young and uh has just done amazing things and you just you look at the roster of born bread and it is just some of the biggest uh, and most successful names 
in content creation across all kinds of different disciplines. And there are a lot of different agencies trying to do this in, in New Zealand and, and all over the world. You know, it is all, on some level, are you part record company, part talent agent, part creative agency? This is all sort of being figured out. And that's that's one of the reasons I like it. But uh, there's just a sort of a, a level of sophistication that, that radiates out of born bread that sort of separates it from the pack a bit, at least to, to my mind. So this is basically the creator economy in 2024 101 is, is how I conceive of it. And we go, go into a whole lot of topics, but Claire's a great guide for that. And yeah, I think it's a cool start to the year in terms of starting to understand something which which can feel like it's resistant to that so this is claire winterborn founder of born bread talent on the fold claire welcome to the fold thanks duncan um i'm so so happy to be doing this it's uh it's, it's been a while coming but i'm really glad that we we got here i was wondering if you could start by just telling me the the path which led to you to founding uh, born bread in the first place well, my DNA is, I guess you could say, sports management. Um, and, you know, I was in the sports sector at a time where it potentially wasn't um, as easy for females in the industry as it is now. Um, and then so obviously came back to Australia just around the birth of YouTube and just really looked at it and went, I wonder if I can put the same ethos into managing athletes um, into this, you know, new wave of the content creator. Um, thinking, to be honest, it would be one of those sort of short-term flash-in-the-pan type situation. Um, and then it blew up, basically. So I think a, a huge portion of it was right place, right time. Um, and then having that sort of skill set to nurture and, and grow that new generation what we now know as content creators when you first encountered social media or, or you know those kind of user-generated content platforms uh, that are now so you know so so all-powerful what was your sort of immediate uh, reaction to it both as a sort of a consumer and and a, a creator if that, if that if you went that way I I was really late to the party to be honest I think I was probably one of the last one of my peer group who got Facebook and um, I kind of didn't really buy into having having your life on the internet to be honest um for me I saw a vehicle to make money so I guess I really I really chased the dollars um and invested from a financial perspective at the start rather than a true belief that this was something that would become such a huge part of our ecosystem and world that's so interesting. Do you want to actually, I mean, we're sort of almost getting ahead of ourselves in a way. How do you describe uh, Born Bread to people when you when you meet them or, or if you're trying to encapsulate it in a, in a few sentences? Well, we, we really did start as a traditional influencer agency. I mean, it's, I'm not necessarily proud to say it now, but at the very beginning, we were pumping teeth whitening and, and skinny tea and all of those sorts of things. So it was very, very early in the industry. Um, and then we evolved. So I think now we are made up of a creator agency, um, obviously looking after influencers, creators. We've moved into production um, and a huge part of our business now is Born Bread Creative. So I guess you could say we are moving more towards our 
creative advertising agency model, um, but obviously with our influence and talent DNA, it'll always be a core part of our business. I guess we are a very innovative company um, and we keep evolving and if, at huge rapid speeds. And I guess like we'll touch on it soon, but you know, we were the first agency um, in Australia and New Zealand to jump on the TikTok bandwagon. Um, and yeah, we're, we're always looking for the new thing. Podcasting is huge for us at the moment. So we're um, getting into that space pretty heavy too. When you first founded the agency and started to, to work with what were then called influencers and, and are now more, more commonly known as, as creators, uh, and I'd like to kind of explore that distinction at some point, but what was the competitive landscape like and, and you know, how did you sort of differentiate yourself from what certainly even in New Zealand, and I can only imagine it was more so in Sydney, felt like there was just a, a profusion of different fairly small agencies which would get a bundle of uh, you know, influencers together typically on Instagram and kind of had, it felt like they had fairly similar propositions, but Born Bread certainly now feels very different. I think we always looked at your traditional influencers slightly different. Absolutely, we did have that huge roster of, I guess you could say, usual suspects, your beauty YouTubers, um, comedy, but we always stepped out of the lines a little bit. And I think for us, we were always huge on creator development, identifying the up-and-coming talent opposed to going after the big, big, huge volume one. Um, and I guess a lot of agencies, when they started up, had a lot of talent that whilst they did have those big numbers, a lot of them had a very small Australian or New Zealand audience. So we really went after engagement um, and and making sure that the brands we were working with were getting that Aussie audience. Um, we leaned into athletes, obviously, because of my background. So I guess we had a far more diversified roster, um, which really appealed to a lot of people, hence our rapid growth. What, was there a particular creator that you saw and sort of started to exemplify for you in your mind that the business possibilities of, of this space? We found a, a creator on Facebook at the time called Jackson O'Doherty, and that was in the period where pranksters and, and you know, that genre was really, really popular. Um, and he was probably on about five or 10,000 followers on Facebook that when we secured him. And then within a year, he was hitting over a million subscribers or followers and blew up on all different platforms. The pranking space obviously became highly controversial because as more competitors entered the market, the pranks started getting more extreme. Um, but he was a really interesting one. He was one of the only creators in Australia that secured a monetization deal with Facebook right early on in the piece. Um, and that was offered to very few, few creators. Um, and he ended up making... I could safely say millions of dollars off um, that Facebook rev. And it was just, it was huge. So I think he was really interesting. Um, and I think he was probably behind birth, the whole, you know, genre of content creators um, in that sort of comedy prankster space in Australia. It's not as um, prominent now anymore. I think it's sort of been overdone. But yeah, he was, a, he's a really interesting one. Now huge on OnlyFans, I believe. <laughs> That's interesting, actually. Like, like, 
do you want to talk a bit about the the platform space and like do you do you work with because OnlyFans? It's weird. It's one of those things that that doesn't get talked about a lot in terms of a media platform, but it's actually one of the most successful and profitable. Uh, you know, media companies in in a way for creators. Where, what, how, how do you sort of, if you, if you were to rank or or just kind of discuss some of the key platforms, how would you you just kind of top line them? Well, OnlyFans is an interesting one. When it came out, we actually tried to commercialize it from a super fan audience by working with brands, setting up um, OnlyFans, trying to channel in create a following into a branded OnlyFans. Um, there was some really interesting stuff that happened with um, top-tier designers with Fashion Week. They were showing shows on OnlyFans and things like that. It didn't take off, um, but we have had numerous creators jump on there for a more traditional OnlyFans model content creation um, and power to them. I mean, totally. it's personally not... It's personally not something as an agency we we encourage, um, but it's definitely the you know I know numerous girls that are making in excess of fifty thousand dollars a week on there, um, so that's huge. I mean you've got TikTok Live is another way we've got quite a few creators making money through through gifts. I find that one a little controversial. I don't really know if I buy into that model of people giving money i think it becomes an issue with younger people is that, that that's sort of analogous to the way twitch and you know that, that kind of live gifting and encouraging people to to pay to almost be noticed in, in a live context is that right yeah absolutely i think we've we've done a bit of research into it it works really well for creators but it's like anything you know you it's very common to have younger people use their parents' credit cards and all, all of that sort of thing, gifting huge amounts of money to to TikTokers to, to get names called out and those sorts of things. But again, it's very similar to the Twitch model. Um, but then, you know, there's different OnlyFans-type subscription models popping up, Patreon and all of these different things, YouTube shorts, monetization, YouTube revenue. I mean, there's, there's lots of different ways to commercialize platforms but i'd say still stock standard youtube is is probably the most generic one as, as a sort of an observer of the that that world it still feels like from a creator's perspective in terms of that that revenue share model that youtube has that it people view that as the most honest or fair bargain that you can strike whereas with you know, it seems to be that that the Instagram and and TikTok um, models just that you know there there's been talk of the revenue share rising there, but but uh, is it actually working for anyone, or is that still more of a kind of a work on? Because you think about the dynamics of a YouTube video, the duration, the typical duration versus the the pace of of a TikTok or or Reels, that you know it doesn't seem to lend itself to the same kind of revenue share model? We we encourage our creators to do live if that's something they want to do more from an engagement standpoint um, because we get really positive feedback from followers and, and fan bases and things when you have that live engagement. 
However, I would say a very small percentage of our creators do it for a financial benefit. We are definitely, when we started Born Bread, the YouTube revenue was the main focus for creators. That was the the vehicle. Everyone was building their followers to get that YouTube revenue up, um, and that, that was how everyone went. The majority of creators now are more focused on in content monetization opposed to platform monetization. So, I mean, on our roster, probably only 10% of our creators make money from YouTube. Um, and the focus is very much brand partnerships, ambassadorships, that sort of thing. Rolling back into that influencer versus creator distinction, do you, do you want to explain how that works and, and whether you think that that's material? Because, you know, if the, the creator economy, you know, as I understand it was on some level predicated on, you know, moving into a more kind of holistic uh, revenue model. But if people are predominantly making the money out of brand partnerships still, it, it, that is more in the the influence realm rather than the, you know, getting your revenue direct from fans or platforms. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to get myself in a bit of trouble here. I don't see a huge differentiation between an influence and a creator. I mean, for me, if you're creating content to build an influ- a platform to influence people, it's the same thing in my eyes. I mean, the, the word influencer, I think, has got more credit over the years. I think in the early days where that differentiation was so important that you know, the influencer model and influencers were getting such a hard rap. I think that the creator terminology was really born from a protection standpoint of being being able to describe what they were doing, opposed to the label that potentially media was attaching to them. No, that makes sense. In terms of Instagram was the, the place where sort of the influencer economy and the idea of it really um, blossomed and obviously on some level in terms of its cultural power uh, it's been usurped by TikTok what what could you give a bit of a state of the Instagram nation like what what does its uh, like a classic audience bucket look like who, who who what kind of creators really succeed there and and how has it responded to the challenge of TikTok I think they've responded really well, and I think that they have come back really strongly. I mean, when when TikTok boomed over COVID, there was real fears around, I guess, the balance of spend and focus that was going between TikTok um, and Instagram. I mean, we went to as low as probably... 70, 80% of our revenue was going on TikTok campaigns. So the popularity of Instagram really did dip. Wow. Um, but but now it, it, it's pretty even. It's pretty even from, from a, a spin standpoint. I think that TikTok is a platform where you get really strong brand awareness. Um, but again, I think Instagram converts to more sales, if that makes sense. No, it does. It does. In terms of TikTok, when it first landed, you know, do you recall, you know, when you what your reaction was when you sort of first saw it, and and did you sort of instantly clock how sort of challenging and and uh, 
you know, potentially impactful it would be? Yeah, well, like I said earlier, we were the first agency um, in Australia to introduce TikTok. I was actually over in China um, doing some work with Weibo and met a few of the, the people who were working for ByteDance um, and really got onto it. So we were actually already in that ecosystem when Musical.ly was the jam for young people. Wow, that's really early. Yeah, it was really early. We were work, working with Warner Music actually um, and got on this Musical.ly app to obviously promote their um, roster and staple of artists. So we were in and understood the ecosystem, the process when ByteDance actually um, acquired Musical.ly. So I remember doing these lunch and learns and workshops trying to explain TikTok to all of these big agency heads um, and people just couldn't understand it and got really stuck on the, this is a Chinese app, data stealing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it was, again, amazing timing for us because we backed this new generation of creators and a lot of them at that time had you know, really small followings in comparison to our Instagram counterparts. But we took a really pseudo-educational approach, worked with these creators, and then COVID hit, and everyone jumped on TikTok. So we were really ahead of that boom, um, and I think that that's really what put us put us on the map um, in Australia and globally as well. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Can you describe like what a typical TikTok campaign would look like, and even in terms of like a what what's the spend? How widely would it be dispersed? Just give, give us a kind of a, a boilerplate for how you'd approach, uh, you know, how you might typically approach that medium for for brands. I think it's. I mean, how long's a piece piece of string? We've got we've got creators um, that cost. $1,000 for a TikTok and we've got creators that cost $70,000 for a TikTok. Um, so, you know, it's it's a pretty broad spend. But again, it's that stock standard model of we get a lot of the larger scale creative campaigns now where we have brands coming to us um, for, you know, 50, 60 TikTokers. So for us, again, it's just about identifying who they're after, um, what sort of creative they're after, um, and developing that content with with the creator. I think it is different, and I've seen TikTok really evolve in the way people really 
lent into TikTok for that organic, quick, short-form content opposed to that polished content that you traditionally see on Instagram. Um, However, we're now seeing that also change, that the quality of content that's now being produced on TikTok, a lot of it is very polished. So there's really no rule of thumb um, around that. But it's, um, yeah, that's pretty much how it works. And in terms of the origins of that, does it typically come direct from the brands? Does it come through a media agency, a creative agency? And what is the dance like with other creative agencies now that on some level you're not a, an adjunct to them but, a, but in true competition for, with, with them in some circumstances? Oh, absolutely. And I think it is a really interesting, an interesting one. And I think it became a lot more, we used to basically solely deal with creative agencies, ad agencies, but brands now, I think a lot of them had to make some pencil sharpening decisions over COVID. Um, And a lot of these brands who traditionally have worked through big creative agencies started coming direct to agencies like mine. I think it really, I mean, it's a 50-50 split, really. We now deal with 50% 50% brands, 50% creative agencies. We have really got a reputation. We actually use and work with our creators as a bit of an advertising agency now as well. Um, we always open it up for brands if they want to have workshopping sessions with creators or get ideas and, and those sorts of things. We have a staple of creators who really lean into that one. So I think that that's been hugely advantageous for a lot of brands. Um, because again, traditionally agencies, talent agencies like us and, and creative agencies, they are that intermediary between the creator and the brand, but they can also be a real barrier um, to getting that creative opportunity to work with these people. Yeah, because it, it, it strikes me that there's this tension where the creative agency often likes to have a lot of control. It has a particular kind of, you know, the, the, the whole ideas of brand safety, you know, versus what might get cut through on those platform films. They can they can feel like there's a gulf between them. And and very frequently, you know, a media agency's role in that, you know, that, that there's just a lot of complexity there. But it's a, but do you feel like there is a maturing happening in the Australian market in terms of people being more confident of their place or is there still a lot of fluidity and um, evolution happening in terms of because sometimes it can feel like Deloitte is trying to do the same thing as um, like a DDB, which is trying to do the same thing as a, as a born bread, and it, it gets a bit kind of slippery, this whole thing. Yeah, it, it is. I think it's ever-evolving. But what we see now is a lot of brands, big brands, will actually split their budget with a lot of different agencies. So you'll have um, Sam McDonald's, for example. They'll be working with a creative agency, but then they'll go direct also to talent agencies, media agencies. And I think it, for, for a lot of brands, it's about seeing what works for them because it is a difficult process at times being able to work with creators. Um, and that's for a whole whole lot of different reasons that you know a lot of brands struggle to understand the creator's ways of working. Um, so I think that those are the benefits by working with agencies like us that we really just support that. Again, huge on education. And that education standpoint goes from creator 
and also the brand client as well. Do you want to talk to because there's a there's a sort of a third path in a way, which is the where the creator actually, rather than working with a brand, comes up with the brand themselves. And you know, certainly the most prominent example, you know, to my mind is the Inspired Unemployed and and something like uh, Better Beer. I was talking to the the head of uh, Heineken uh, DB in New Zealand yesterday, who you know they distribute it here, and it's kind of extraordinary to think that a influencer podcast could come up with a beer that is now sort of distributed multinationally by one of the biggest beverage companies in the world. Can you talk about them almost as like a little case study about how you know that that other option of of making their own product is starting to to grow in prominence? Yeah, I mean, they've they've done fantastically well. And I think that them specifically, I have never in my my time, management time, I've never seen a creator or creators in that instant have such an engaged audience. And their their audience is really unique because it's it, it extends over Australia, it extends over the world. Gosh, I remember I was travelling with them in America once and you know, you, you're walking down Venice Beach and all of these people just are recognising them and you just it's just bizarre. But what we're seeing now is a lot of creators taking their brand equity with them um, and doing it at a very, very early stage as well. I mean, we have a, a TikToker on our roster um, called Bridie Drake who's set up her own pyjama company. Young girl straight out of school. Um, and the volume she does now, huge. So it is becoming, I guess, this next, this generation of creators, they're savvy um, and they are going into product development. We've got a number of products in development at the moment, but it's definitely looking towards the future. And I think a lot of, a lot of the creators now, they know that the window is short. And I think that when this this part this industry sort of came to fruition in in Australia especially, there was that misconception, well this will last forever. Um, where the shelf life now is pretty short for a lot of these creatives. So it's about jumping on on what you have at, at the height rather than waiting to do something as you're on the down, I guess. So when you say the shelf life is short, is what's driving that? Is that just the kind of the culture moves on? You might have followers, but you're not in the feed, or is it is it burnout? Like what? How do you how do you mean about about that short shelf life? Well, I think the barrier to entry in the creator world now is a lot easier than it was at the start. So I think TikTok has had a huge part of that. Um, the algorithms, the growth of creators has been been astronomical. So I just think it's it's people's attention spans now are, are fragmented. The volume of content that you can get served in a really short period of time is huge, and people's interests have widened and diversified over the past you know ten five ten years. Um, but we see creators come and go and rotate. Um, really, really at a really rapid speed now. In terms of the the podcasting space, you, you mentioned earlier that that sort of creator to podcaster thing is is pretty well worn. Sometimes 
they can feel like when I listen to them a little centerless, like they don't, they know that they want to talk, they don't necessarily know, know what about, but then there are others who have a really kind of, it's, it's almost like the, you know, they, it, like part of a pyramid structure with the, the extended attention span just allows them to go really deep within their niche. Do you want to talk about a couple of examples of, of where they've made the leap from, say, a, a short or medium term, a medium form content platform to podcasting successfully? Really interesting one, this. Converting your audience to audio is the hardest conversion you'll ever do, I've been told. So we worked with Spotify last year on a creator program, basically, where we took, I think it was about seven or eight TikTokers, and they worked with Spotify, really high-level production, um, the best podcasting education you, you could have. And it was really interesting to see those audiences and what they represented. I mean, we had a TikToker who I think she had about 6 million followers on TikTok. But again, her podcasting audience was only picking up a few hundred per episode because they weren't following that journey. I think that where it becomes really interesting, and again, I'm going to lean back into the inspired unemployed because they've done extremely well, pretty private people that grew grew a following around a persona or, or, or acting or how their content was that people really didn't know a huge amount about them. Um, they kept a pretty closed book, didn't go to um, these influencer events. I remember they were super excited to go to one and I took them to one and they were like, oh gosh, these are horrible. Um, we don't want to go to these again. So I think for them, when they launched their podcast, their followers and fan base were, were just so excited to actually get to know the person behind the content. And again, same with, with we recently taken on another podcast, um, Happy Hour, Lucy and Nikki, who I believe are actually quite popular in New Zealand as well. Again, it's about being, I guess, that, you know, with people like the girls, people love throwing around the world authentic in this space. But creators like these two girls, they're bravely authentic. They hit topics and they discuss things. And, I mean, I'm pretty bold and out there, as you know, Duncan, but I wouldn't go on the airwaves and discuss half the things that these girls do. So I guess it, I guess it basically is being able to, give those audiences a snapshot of the real person and the real issues that they suffer as normal people, not the polished creators that are seen on online. So one thing which we've talked about before off air is is the the gap between the the sort of energy and sophistication of the Australian market and what you found is you know you're from New Zealand, but the the New Zealand market doesn't seem to be moving at the same pace. I want to talk about the creator side because I don't think that's true there. But but from that uh, sort of brand or, or agency space, what what's your sort of perspective on how things are uh, are evolving over here? I think they've had huge improvement since TikTok set up office there. I can definitely notice that there is a faster pace and a greater appetite. So I think that TikTok moving in into New Zealand has had a really, really positive impact on our community. Um, but it definitely is a lot slower in New Zealand from, 
the innovation standpoint in the space, I would say. Um, and again, it's with all of our with all of our New Zealand creators, we're really pushing them to get into that Australian audience as well. There's a, so many businesses now that are run out of Australia, big brands run out of Australia, and they're looking into the New Zealand creator economy to fill to fill gaps and obviously get get brands out. So I just think it's super important. I would like to see more of the New Zealand and ANZ attitude opposed to Australia and New Zealand because I think that our economies are so close together in this world that there could be a lot more investment made into it. Um, one of your clients is, is Uskang, who was nominated for a TikTok award, has, has huge salience within Pacific communities, both in New Zealand and Australia. Can you talk about, and I know that you've got a, a huge amount of sort of ambition for him. Can you talk about him as, as a client and um, and what makes him sort of so impactful uh, and, and where, where that, that's likely to go? I, I adored him. As soon as I, I met him and saw his content, the most genuine, lovely human being I think you'll probably ever encounter, I really valued what he was doing around his journey to lose weight, speak to his community. And when you actually pulled back a few of the layers and have those conversations with him, it was never about becoming a YouTube star or a TikTok star. It was about becoming healthy and encouraging his community, his people, where obesity is, it's a huge problem, to to lose weight and to be healthier. So I think for him, it was a really positive thing to see that he's had so much success. He, again, is a really interesting one because in Australia, the Pacific Island communities and things, we, we have so such big communities over here, but quite often it gets missed in representation and speaking to those communities in Australia. So I think for him that success is definitely being and my in that minority group of creators that it there's not a lot in Australia. So he's really leaning really leaning into that. Um and, and big big communities, you know, he's he's highly followed by all the big UFC fighters, athletes, that sort of thing. So he's definitely um moving ahead at rapid speed. And lastly, I just wondered if you could pick, you know, two or three creators from your roster that sort of maybe exemplify different aspects of where you think this is going and, you know, how the, the, that, that kind of evolution is, is crystallized into, into an actual, um, into, a, into a person and, and their kind of, their, their business, I suppose. I mean, again, the Inspired Unemployed, I think, you know, we've touched on them in, uh, quite a few times, but, I mean, they are, they are textbook successes in the space, taking their brand equity, pivoting, I think that, you know, we have really interesting talent. Um, one of the first TikTokers, well-known TikTokers, Caleb Finn, he's really interesting. He was actually a um, primary school teacher when he was on TikTok, but had to leave teaching because children from other schools kept running into his classroom because he had hit TikTok fame. Completely bizarre. But he, he's a really interesting one. I think he's got... 16, 17 million followers um, and now become a really, really successful published author. Um, we're hoping he will become the next Harry Potter series or likewise. 
he's doing really, really well in reaching those global audiences. Um, and he sort of started out as that traditional gamer, but now he's a father of one um, and pivoting. I think the biggest thing for creators is to continue to pivot, keep looking for the next thing, and really invest in taking that brand equity with you. I couldn't talk about it enough. I mean, on the New Zealand front, you've got people like Lisa Cullen, who has just taken her usual mum life, put it into TikTok, and now has a booming, successful company, Harper James. You know, so I think that that is the, that would be the biggest thing I would say to creators to really push forward with. Cool, Claire. That's been so fascinating. It's it's this world that has grown so rapidly and often within mainstream media there can be a sort of an indifference or, or hostility to it. But I, I I think it's really fascinating and it's it's not going anywhere. And I think the, the way that you've explained it has been really, really interesting to me. So thanks so much for coming on The Fold and, and doing that for us today. No problem, Duncan, any time. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.